Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. Uh, hey, when uh, my son Braylon was born six and a half years ago, we quickly learned a few different things. First, we learned that he was a mammoth baby, all right? He was nine pounds, 12 ounces, 22 and a half inches long. He came out with his driver's license and a goatee. It was awesome, all right? And uh, my wife carried that baby and birthed that baby. I call her superwoman is what I say. Um, But man, we we learned he was a big baby. But we also learned quickly after we got him home um, that he was going to have some pretty substantial reflux reactions. All right. And so it was like as soon as we could get the bottle in him, the bottle was coming right back to us. All right. It was go down and spit it right back up. So we kind of learned as parents, if you've been there before, we learned like, okay, Burt Bragg needs to stay real close and we probably need to have a, like a, a plan B and a plan C Burt Bragg. And so we learned that as parents, but there are many moments where other people, you know, because everybody wants to hold your baby, where they were, they're like, maybe let me feed your baby. Okay. Or let me hold him like not long after he had taken a bottle. We're like, hey, listen, listen, listen. Don't shake him. Whatever you do, just don't shake him, okay? And uh, But I don't know. It's like this natural reaction that we all got. It's just like human wired in us. I don't know if it's part of our sinfulness of just like we when we get a little cute baby, like we got to shake him a little bit, right? Like a little ride a horsey, okay? And so we would tell him, hey, listen, don't shake him. He's going to spit up. And, of course, they'd play it off. They'd be like, well, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, that's happened before. And uh, I'm like, hey, listen, you, you do what suits you. You shake at your own risk is all I'm saying. And there were a few times where my, my son, he made him pay for it. He did. <laughs> and I'm sitting back as dad. I was like, I told you. Like, I, I told you. But I'll never forget one moment. Um, he was a few months old. We were home, at home. My wife had actually just given him a bottle. I think she was burping him in our, you know, kind of big mama recliner there at the house. And, uh, man, it, I'm talking about he just gave my wife the most unrequested, unloving shower all right, that she has ever taken. I mean, it was as soon as, soon as it went in a few seconds later, just totally unasked for, it was just like, here it is, coming right back. And because I'm the loving husband that I am, all right, I snapped a shot of it and it looked something like this. Look at that right there. Oh, man. All right, get it down, get it down. Okay, some, some weak stomachs in that. All right, how many of you parents, you're like, I can resonate with that. Like, we, we live in that right now. We did that before. All right, we didn't have two or three of them. They all did that, okay? Now, when you're a parent, like, like vomiting, okay, throwing up, that's just part of the deal, okay? And so some of you are going like, that's nasty. And you're right, it is. And it was, it was really bad for my wife. She got all cleaned up, and I got the picture out of it. So it was good. But man, here, here, you may go, wow, why in the world? Okay, this is an interesting start to a message today. You're going to talk about vomit. And you're right. Why, why am I talking about vomit? Well, you're going to find out pretty shortly. Uh, today, we're in part three of a series that we've been calling The Unsaved Christian. And uh, maybe if you're new to our series, you go, wait, hold on just a second. What? What is an unsaved Christian? I've never heard of that before. And so we kind of put a definition to that. And here's been our definition over the last few weeks, is that an unsaved Christian is somebody who believes in God, but lives as if he doesn't exist. Somebody who believes in God, but does not live as if he is Lord and leader of their life. And so in week one, uh, back at the beginning of August, we talked about those people who believe in God, but don't really know him. And then last week, if you're with us, we talked about those who believe in God, but do not fear him. They don't live with a holy, reverent fear of God. If you've missed either one of those, may I invite you to go back on our website and catch up. But today, we're going to talk about those who believe in God, but don't want to go overboard. Those who say, well, I, I believe in God, but like, I don't, I don't want to get too deep into all that, right? I, I, I believe in God. I want what he has for my life, 
But man, I, I don't want to kind of get fanatical, right? You know some of those people, like, they're crazy church folks. Like, they're all up into Jesus. Listen, I, I, man, I believe in God, but I just don't want to go overboard. And so today, if you have a copy of Scripture, I'm going to invite you to go all the way to the end of your hard copy or scroll to the bottom of your digital copy to Revelation, the book of Revelation, final book in Scripture. And we're going to open up to Revelation chapter 3. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, we'll put some verses uh, behind me on the screen for you to follow along. Well, let me kind of give you the context first as we step into Revelation 3. In the book of uh, Revelation, Jesus actually wrote seven letters to seven different churches, or one letter for each of the seven churches. And as he writes these letters, if you have read Revelation before, studied it all, you know there's a theme where, where Jesus writes these letters, and in all of these letters, for six of the churches, he kind of gives them some encouragement, all right, and then he calls out some things that they need to fix, okay? He lovingly corrects. All right, and encourages, and then he goes, hey, there's some things you need to think about. But there was one particular church where he didn't give them any positive feedback. Okay, he didn't for a second go like, hey, you're getting a little this thing right, but then there's all this. No, he didn't give them any credit. He went straight into correction, and he spent the whole time, in essence, telling them really what they were doing wrong. So that's the church that I want us to focus on for a few minutes today. That church was known as the church at Laodicea. Say that with me, Laodicea. Good. And so I want to tell you a little bit about that, a little history of Laodicea. This is a very, very, very wealthy city. In fact, 35 years before this letter is written, uh, where John records Jesus' letters in Revelation, 35 years before this, Laodicea had been destroyed by a massive earthquake. But because the city was so wealthy, they had quickly rebuilt and even better than what somebody could imagine. Laodicea was known for their massive theaters, and they had massive stadiums. They had these lavish, what was called public baths, which are weird to us, but they were, they were famous at that time. And Laodicea was known for their lavish public baths. They had massive shopping centers. So in today's world, we, we might compare Laodicea with something, a city maybe like Las Vegas. We're out in the middle of nowhere in the desert, boom, this massive city pops up with roller coasters inside the buildings and massive shopping centers, and, and it was the attractional place for you to be. And in this day, this was the type of city that represented massive wealth, where you wanted to live, where you had everything that you could ever imagine. And in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus speaks some words, he writes some words to these very wealthy, all right? Very set, maybe even very what they would call blessed people. And I want us to pick up in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. Here's what it says. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Verse 16. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So Jesus, notice, talking to the people in Laodicea, says, I know your deeds. Not, I know what you say you believe, but I know how you live. And there's a difference. You see, how you live reflects the true reality of what you believe. How you live really reflects the true reality of what you believe. I'm not just talking about what you say you believe, but Jesus is saying, I see how you live. I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or 
the other. It's kind of a little bit like drinking coffee. I told you last week, I'm not a coffee drinker, but I've been around it enough to understand, okay, hot coffee is good, right? Okay, yes, some of you started your day with that today. Cold coffee is good. Some of you, like, that's your go-to. That's your jam, right? But coffee that's been sitting out for four hours, come on, all right, that ain't no good. You don't want any of that. Why? Because it's lukewarm. Now, What's interesting is if you study about Laodicea, they, they had some challenges getting water brought to them. They had these long underground pipes that would kind of ship in hot water and cold water from hot or cold springs. What they wanted to do is they wanted to get the water into the city as fast as possible. Why? Because they didn't have microwaves or refrigerators. So they wanted to get it to them so they could get it as either as hot as possible or as cold as possible. And so at religious festivals, they would serve drinks before people would prepare their hearts to make a sacrifice. So if you were somebody who was wealthy, if you were prominent, all right, if you were a name in the city, then you got served the hot or cold drinks. You got drinks first. However, if you were kind of a nobody, if your family didn't matter, if your name wasn't big, if you weren't wealthy, you got the drinks at the end of the line, which were probably what? Probably lukewarm. So when he used this language, it was more than just saying this phrase, hey, you're just lukewarm. No, what he's saying here is, is I'm speaking to the fact that you're really being dishonored. You're, you're at the back. You're not pursuing me at all, is what Jesus is saying. And he says, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but instead, you're lukewarm. Now look back at, at verse 15 again. Here's what it says. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold, or you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, the word spit comes from a Greek word that's only used one time in all of Scripture. We read it right there. And it means this. It literally means to spit. It means to vomit. All right. It means utter rejection, or it means to be supremely repulsed. That's what that word actually means. It's like if you, if you eat a bad egg salad sandwich, okay, which I don't even know why you'd eat one of those, but let's just say you did, all right, and it's rotten, what happens? What, what does your body do, okay? All right, wherever there's a hole, okay, it's coming out. You got to plug it, plug it, plug it, plug it. Listen, I know, I know, it's nasty, okay, but listen, all right, when you preach this text, you got to kind of make it come to life, okay? All right, that's what happens. Your body does what? Your body goes, uh-uh, we're not taking that. We're sending it back. And it rejects it. Your body is rejecting that. And so what Jesus is saying is when you don't show any passion at all, when you are apathetic, when you are complacent in your pursuit of me, I can't stomach that. I'm, I'm repulsed by that. I reject that. I cannot tolerate it and I spew it, is what Revelation says, out of my mouth. How many of you know, uh, you know what an oxymoron is? Okay, anybody willing to admit that? Okay, anybody willing to admit you don't know what an oxymoron is? Okay, I'm just kidding. Keep your hand down. Okay, an oxymoron is where you take two words that are really opposite and you put them together to make a phrase. Okay, some of you, like seventh grade English class, just came back right there. That was good, okay? An oxymoron, two opposite words put together, all right, that, that make this phrase. And so we say things, oxymoron phrases, like act naturally. Think about it. Okay, some of you, it's, it's registering. You're waking up, all right? It's 9 o'clock. Act naturally or, or genuine imitation. I mean, how do you do that? Okay, genuine imitation or, or tight, 
slacks, which you shouldn't wear, okay, but tight slacks, all right, that's the thing. Uh, jumbo shrimp, oxymoron, okay, government efficiency, all right, all right, Microsoft works, okay, sometimes, all right, sometimes, we like it when it does, right, you see, that, that's an oxymoron, you put those two together, but perhaps, perhaps the greatest oxymoron maybe in history is lukewarm Christian. Lukewarm disciple of Jesus. Lukewarm follower of the Son of God. Okay? Now, what, what is a lukewarm Christian? Well, truth is, we could talk about all sorts of different ways to describe it, but what I thought I would do in part of our time today is kind of list out seven different characteristics of a lukewarm Christian. Now, the reality is we could probably make a list of 70, and you could make your own list, but these are just some observations that I've seen, that I've made, and in, in the role that I get to play as I walk with people in their spiritual journeys. And so I want to show you today just, just seven, right, seven characteristics of somebody who is neither hot nor cold, but they are, they are lukewarm. And chances are, as we kind of walk through these pretty quickly today, you're, you're going to think of somebody, maybe in your family, maybe at your office, maybe at your school, and you go, man, I know somebody who's just like that. But maybe today, for some of you, if you get real honest, you might go, hmm, and a lot of that is, that's me. So today, I want you to see seven different characteristics. What are the qualities, what are the characteristics of somebody that we, we could call, or that Revelation might call lukewarm Christian? The first one, if you're taking notes, is this. A lukewarm Christian craves acceptance from people more than acceptance from God. A lukewarm Christian craves acceptance from people more than acceptance from God. Timothy, in the Bible, he said, hey, in the end days, this is what Timothy wrote, in the end days, there would be people who are lovers of themselves. That's what he wrote. Now think about it. We live in a, in a very selfie-centered generation and time, do we not? Right? Hey, approve me, like me. You like my hair today? Okay, does it look good? What about my outfit? You like, you like my muscles? You like my truck? Okay, you like my job? What do you think about our family? We think about our family vacation, right? Please approve me, approve me, approve me. And if you don't, okay, I'll, I'll conform my morals, I'll conform my life to what you do approve so that you will approve me. And we live in this generation, but yet Jesus actually spoke these words in the New Testament, he spoke these words to his disciples in the crowd. Luke 6, 26. Look at what he says. He says, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. He was saying this. If everyone speaks well of you, there's a, there's a chance that you're not maybe really following Jesus. Because there is a, there's a place where the truth of living a life in Christ contradicts with the standards of the world. Yet so many of us, without even knowing it, truly live for the approval of people rather than from the approval of God. I'm going to say that again. Okay, We're not called to live for the approval of other people, but, watch this, but from the approval of God. You see, a, a lukewarm Christian, man, they crave the acceptance of people more than they crave the acceptance of God. Secondly, this, a lukewarm Christian rarely shares their faith in Christ. A lukewarm Christian rarely shares their faith in Christ. They rarely share the goodness of God with other people. Why? 
Well, I think maybe a few reasons. One, uh, we don't want to be weird. Uh, maybe we don't want to be rejected. In today's world, we, we don't want to offend somebody. I think maybe at the, at the real root of it all, is so often we don't really believe that the power of the gospel transforms lives. Because if we did, if we really believed this, then we would get over fears. We wouldn't worry about being offensive, but we would pray, God, every day give me opportunities to speak of your goodness. I mean, to speak of what you've done just for me personally. Yet we don't do it. And Jesus, he was very clear about this. This is what he said in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 10, 32. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But look at verse 33. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. The lukewarm Christians, they, they, they rarely share their faith. Third is this, a lukewarm Christian rationalizes their sins. A lukewarm Christian will, will rationalize their sin. We live in a day now where, where literally people are, they are rebranding or renaming sin um, just so it, it kind of feels and sounds a little bit better. Like, think with me for a second. Adultery, it's, it's not adultery anymore. Like, it, it's, it's an affair. Okay? Sounds so much better, right? It's not, it's not adultery, it's an affair. Pornography, okay, we, we don't call it pornography, we just call it adult entertainment. That makes it sound a lot better. Or, or it's, not, it's not profanity. I don't use profanity. I just use adult language. And so, no, 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 listen. Hey, listen, you're only 12, man. You can be dropping the F-bomb, okay? Now, listen, listen. Like, like when you get older, okay, when, you, when you're an adult, then you can use adult language. We're not talking like that right now. You see, what happens is it becomes so easy to begin to stack ourselves up against those around us and go, well, I'm, I'm, I'm better than so-and-so. I, I hadn't crossed the line that far. I, I hadn't gone that deep into it. I, who are you to judge me? I'm not hurting anybody. Man, I'm making my choices. I'm an adult. But a lukewarm Christian, they will rationalize sin all day long. Number four, a lukewarm Christian thinks more about life on earth than eternity in heaven. A lukewarm Christian thinks more about life on earth than eternity in heaven. They're consumed with life on earth and not eternity in heaven. Now, in the New Testament, there's a, a guy by the name of Paul. We read some of his words just a second ago. And he said something crazy. You know what, you know what Paul said in Philippians? Paul said this. He says, to live is Christ and to, watch this, to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die again, he says, man, for me to live on earth with this, this time, this temporary time here, man, is to be a representative of Jesus. But when I die and it's coming, it's going to be better. Like it's gain for me. It's good. When I die, I'm going to heaven and it's going to be better than all of the things that I got on this earth. And that, that's what it says. But what do we see now on earth, right? What, what do we see in so many ways with what we say and what we do? I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die, right? I'd rather live to 105 and wear diapers than die. Like, don't, don't, don't let me die. But Paul says, he says, man, we're consumed with this earth. It's about the things of the world. We, we get go, I want more. Give me more stuff, more things, more comfort. And we become in love with the things of the earth rather than the God who created all things. And you see, a lukewarm Christian, that's, that's what they'll do. They'll become so more consumed with the things of this earth than with eternity that's going to last so much longer in heaven. Number five is this. A, a lukewarm Christian only turns to God when they need something. A lukewarm Christian only turns to God when they need something. Oh, they'll turn to God. Okay, they, they will. 
But when things are going good, I mean, who really needs God at that point, right? Okay, job's good. Everybody's healthy. Weather's pretty good outside. We got money to pay the bills. We're good. But then somebody gets diagnosed with cancer. And all of a sudden, oh, now it's time to pull the God tool out of the toolbox. Like, we, we need you. God, I don't know if you see this, but we got somebody, and they're fighting down here. They're battling, and we're praying. We need you. But then the chemotherapy works. Praise God. And we're good, man. We, we kind of put them back aside. We're good. We're good. Everything's good. Oh, the kids are acting crazy again. We'll pull that tool back out, right? Why? Because a lukewarm Christian only turns to God when they need something. When they need something. Number six is this. A lukewarm Christian will give whenever it's convenient. A lukewarm Christian will, will give whenever it's convenient. Well, I'll, I'll give if it kind of helps me look good. I'll, I'll give, but, but not if it's going to like hinder my, my standard of living. Like We can't do that. I'll give, but kind of if, if, if I want to, like if we feel inclined to do that this month. But oh my goodness, man, don't, don't, listen, don't push me to do something I don't, I don't want to do. I'm a, I'm a grown man. Why? Because this is, this is my stuff, man. I work hard for my things. My, 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 my. You see, the committed follower of Jesus begins to realize it's his, it's his, it's his. But the lukewarm Christian says, mine, 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 mine. And the reality is we don't like to talk about that stuff. Like that, that kind of gets up in our business. Let's just change the subject. See, a lukewarm Christian, they give, but when it's convenient. And number seven is this. A lukewarm Christian, honestly, not that much different than the rest of the world. They're not that much different from from other people. See, the lukewarm Christian, I mean, they, they watch the same movies that everybody else watches. They listen to the same music that most everybody else listens to. Um, they use the same crude language at work when something bad goes wrong that everybody else at the job site does. They have the same morals as everybody else. They raise their kids pretty much like everybody else. They get divorced just as often as basically everybody else. Why? Because they're just like everybody else. And it becomes comfortable or lukewarm Christianity. The great oxymoron. Jesus calls this kind of person lukewarm. Scripture says it makes him want to vomit. That it repulses the heart of God. And he rejects it. See, one of the reasons why I can pinpoint with some accuracy what a lukewarm Christian may look like is because there have been moments of my own spiritual journey where I could be defined as a lukewarm Christian. Maybe most recently, uh, just a couple of years ago, in our church hitting five years old. We were celebrating five years together, and we were growing week after week after week. New people showing up. God continued to do amazing things, even like he's doing in this season. And we were seeing people be baptized. We were seeing new families connect. We were making an impact on our city. Everything seemed to be going so really well. And from the outside, man, people were in awe of what God was doing. But just quite honestly, personally, I was in one of the most 
dry personal spiritual seasons and seasons of ministry in my life. You see, I would allow the ministry of God to hinder the work of God in me. I would I would read my Bible because I got to speak to you every seven days, right? But I wouldn't really read it for my own personal growth. And I would I would quite honestly I, I would pray probably as much or more publicly with you over you than I did personally on my own. And what I begin to realize is that inside I was very hollow. Inside I could be described as very lukewarm. And the phrase that came to me when I began to realize this is that I'd done a really good job at becoming a full-time pastor and a part-time follower of Jesus. Full-time pastor and a part-time follower of Jesus. You see, I realize that very few of you are maybe in the room today where the term pastor or in vocational ministry, but there's a really good chance that maybe that phrase still resonates with you. Maybe you become a full-time mom and a part-time follower of Jesus. Or, or a full-time business person and a part-time follower of Jesus. Or, or a full-time student, school's back, and, and a part-time follower of Jesus. You see, and I woke up and I realized I was the great oxymoron. A lukewarm Christian. Neither hot nor cold but just complacent and comfortable. Tragically, that's where so many people are. See, I believe it's actually far easier to be a lukewarm Christian where we live than so many other parts of the world. And I might go so far as to argue this, that it's so easy to be a Christian where we live that it's actually really hard to be a true one. I'm going to say that again so it sinks in. In our part of the world, maybe in the Bible Belt, we all believe in God and we all go to church. I would argue that it's so easy to be a Christian. It's so, it's so expected that you love God. You go to church. You pray before meals. You own a Bible. It's so easy to be a Christian that it's actually hard to be a true one. See, Jesus was talking directly here into a culture that's so similar to our world today. Worldly wealth, theaters, shopping centers, big stadiums. We have so much in so many parts of our world. It's so easy to slip into this life of go, God, we don't really need you. Unless things go bad. But we don't really need you. And God said to that, he said, you say that you are rich. You say that you have acquired wealth and you don't need a thing, but what you don't realize is that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, here's a question as we look at Revelation 3. Was he talking to Christians or not? He said lukewarm. He didn't say lukewarm Christian. We added that phrase. He's talking about those who are lukewarm. So is he talking to followers of Jesus or not? Here's what he calls them. He calls them wretched. That doesn't 
sound very Christian to me. He says they are pitiful, poor, blind, naked. Maybe, just maybe, we begin to see a reality that they were never followers of Jesus to start with. About right now, God is doing what He so lovingly does. Maybe there are people, even today, in this moment, who are feeling the gentle conviction of the Holy Spirit. He says, you believe in me. You claim to believe in me. But you're not really living as if you know me. Not really living with a true relationship with me. So what do you do? What do you do if that's you? I think it's really pretty simple. And you, you open the door to your life. You let Jesus in. That's simple. And you open the door to your life and you say, Jesus, you come in. Would you come in now? You see, Jesus, he spoke to you. If that's you today, he wrote these words for you. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Look at it. He says, here I am. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. I'm there. And, and if you hear my voice and open the door, if you would invite me in, man, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. See, here's the thing. You don't, you don't have to get cleaned up first. You, you, don't, you don't have to get things perfect first. You don't have to have good church attendance first. It's, it's not, man, let me get it right, and then maybe he'll make me right with him. No, Scripture says he comes in as you are. He loves you in the mess, in the brokenness. It's why he came. Because only he's the one who could step into the chaos, into the brokenness that you've made and clean you up. And so we say, Jesus, come in. And Scripture says you go from old and broken to new and whole in Him. What do you do? Like, what do you do if you realize, man, God's speaking to me. And I've been living in this comfortable version that I called Christianity. And I'm not really there. And you just say, Jesus, you come in. You take over. And for those of you who say, well, you know what, I've, I've done that. I know Him. I'm in Him. But I'm comfortable. I'm complacent. What do you do? What's that look like for you today? Well, you know what happened whenever I came home from work when my son was little? And I opened the door and you know what he did? Full sprint across the house. Daddy's home! And man, he grabbed me around my leg. I'd lift him up and hold him up and say, boy, I love you. That's what Jesus did. And you run to him. Maybe you found yourself today be complacent, discomfortable. Today, man, you need to run to him to say, Daddy, I need you. 
I'm sorry I've been running the other way, but I want you. I need you. What you'll find is that he never left you. But it's us that run away. Scripture says, when you seek him, you will find him. A couple of weeks ago, I talked with a man by the name of Dennis. Dennis is now 65 years old, and he began to lay out his story for me. Dennis grew up in Yazoo City, Mississippi. Grew up going to church with mom and dad, just like probably a whole bunch of us did. And Dennis knew, because he'd been around the things of God and the things of church, he knew, he knew the right thing to do was on a Sunday morning to walk down the aisle, talk to his preacher, and tell him that he wanted Jesus to come into his heart. But as a little boy, Dennis was, he was scared. He was nervous to do something that big in front of that many people. But finally, he said, finally, one Sunday when he was nine years old, he had his cousins with him, and they said, we'll walk with you, Dennis. And he walked down the aisle at age nine, told his pastor, he said, man, I want Jesus to come into my heart. He even got baptized. Dennis said he knew, he was convinced that he'd done everything he needed to do to be pleased with God and God to be pleased with him, and he had his ticket. He said then he became a teenager, and he began to rebel and make some unwise decisions that carried on into his young adult life until finally he met a Christian girl, and they did what you're supposed to do. They got married. They got connected to a church together. They even got rebaptized. Dennis got rebaptized just to get everything right, and he knew, he was convinced at that point, finally, he had done exactly what he needed to do to make himself right with God. He took it a step further. He began to be a deacon in his church. He began to serve, to be over the men's ministry. He was helping other guys. And then Dennis said, there was one day where he was in a conversation with his pastor as he contemplated and talked about yet another role of serving and leadership within his own church, where his pastor looked at him and said, Dennis, why don't you tell me and tell me about that time. Tell me about that season when you fully surrendered yourself to God. Dennis gave him the answer he'd been given for decades. He talked about when he was nine, when he walked down the aisle. But Dennis said he went home that day. He began to contemplate seriously. Have I ever really, have I ever really surrendered myself fully, wholeheartedly, everything I am to God? You see, Dennis grew up and he knew all the right things to do, that you say the right things, that you try not to do enough of the bad things and get your actions right and go to church. And clearly God was going to be happy with that. But Dennis said that one afternoon at his home, it became so clear that he'd been living his life as a comfortable Christian, a good church-going man, a good church-serving man, but he'd never fully surrendered himself to God and he'd been living for decades trying to behave himself in church. And he realized in that moment that God was calling him not to religion, but to relationship. And as a 50-something-year-old man, Dennis knelt in his living room for the very first time, truly surrendered all of himself to relationship with God. Dennis said for years he wondered, did God really save him? And he blamed God over and over and over for the doubt that he had. 
But on that day, he realized that it was him who had never really surrendered. He said it was the most freeing feeling of his life to know that now he had fully, truly stepped into relationship with the living God. And Dennis realized that God never called us to comfortable Christianity where we claim to believe, but yet we live as lukewarm. Tragically today, we are filled, we are a culture filled with Dennis's. Man, I believe in God, but I just don't live like a And I want, I want to follow, I want all that he has for my life. But let's not get crazy about it. You see, when you really begin to understand who Jesus is, and what he has done, and what he has paid for you, and you remember the cost, you realize, and you owe your all to him. Because listen, there will come a day where you will have to make a decision. Either you're in, or either you're out. True followers of Jesus will be able to confidently say, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm willing to follow with all of my heart, with all of my life, because you have given all of yourself to me. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about the exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.